This is your coffee break. Hi, Sarah. This is wonderful. I must have hit just the uh, audio call. You know what? That's fine. I am a... I don't know if you can tell from my voice or if listeners can tell from my voice, but I am fighting this wonderful cold, sore throat, amazing combo type thing. So I'm actually really glad you can't see me right now. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Um, you know, for Southern California, when it's below uh, 50 degrees outside, we all bundle up and get under the covers and complain. So how is it where you are? Well, I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, so I'm oh maybe a little bit north of you. Uh, yeah. We have about two feet of snow on the ground, and it's, I think, maybe in the neighborhood of negative seven today. That's inconceivable. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surrounded by some uh, mountains where it would only be about a 15-minute drive up to where there's some snow. But we Southern California people don't understand chains or anything like that. So there's cars sliding off the road and everything. I'm just going to stay home today. You know what? I think that's a wonderful idea. Also yeah. very jealous about the mountains. Are, very, is it very... flat where you are? It is. It's so, oh. so, so South Dakota, you can divide it in half. Half of it is mountainous and beautiful, and that's like where Mount Rushmore is out in the Black okay. Hills. I'm in the flat farming part where like the oh, little okay. house on the prairie was. Oh, I love that show. I'm about halfway between um, the desert and the mountains, about 80 miles east of Los Angeles. So I have uh, a Big Bear and San Gregorio and all within like just where I can see out my window and everything. And then just a short drive to the east and I'm out in the desert, Joshua Tree and everything. So I like to go out there. I liked your podcast about your hermitage. I'd never heard it called that. I like to call it a sabbatical. Yeah. I've gone out to the desert before. One time actually overnight where I, I drove for about two hours off of a finished road. Finally, like four-wheel driving for a couple of hours. Um, bouncing around. I lost um, most of my water when it uh, spilled. Oh, no. And um, it, was, it was just a regular cooler. I scooped up the ice chips, put them back and everything, and finally arrived just way, way far away from everybody. And except for losing my water, I felt great. I was a little nervous about that. <laughs> Spent about a day further away from anybody that I ever have in my whole life and uh, outlined a novel that I was going to do for NaNoWriMo and uh, did some reading and just listened to some audiobooks. And when night came, uh, if you can imagine, absolutely no light pollution at all. Mm. I saw every star in the galaxy, it seemed, and satellites flying over. Uh, that's, that was my idea of a hermitage. And so it, it's nice to have the desert close by and, and a little truck that can get out there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That sounds incredible. So yeah. did, you went out there with the intention of doing some writing, or is that just kind of what happened when you went out there? I went out there with the intention of outlining a novel. Um, for NaNoWriMo, I like to have some outlining so that I'm not completely pantsing it. <laughs> so I, I went out there with a special notebook, like two notebooks, one for uh, character descriptions, the other for like some outlines. And uh, I made up a little desk. I, I found a little uh, tree stump that somebody had maybe set up as a oh desk. Oh my gosh. So you were <laughs> actually out like yeah. in the desert, not yeah. no tent, no no cozy little cabin. I had a shovel, and uh, if you know what I mean. And not the desert like Tatooine, lots of sagebrush and hills hmm. and rocks and trails and things. I think the, the idea of the, the Lawrence of Arabia desert, <laughs> like Tatooine or something, that's romantic. But there are a few areas where I can get to that. But most of the desert around me is pretty much alive with uh, plants and animals and things. Um, I saw kangaroo rats and oh my gosh. Uh, uh, red-tailed hawks and all of that. 
So yeah, not not the rolling dunes like like C three PO gets lost in or anything. I'm appreciating all of the Star Wars references. Um, oh, just I just needed to say that. So oh, thank you. I'm I'm really interested in your Hermitage, and I know we have a lot to talk about today. But uh-huh. I kind of want to ask you a couple more questions about sure. about this. What is it that drew you to the desert? Was it the the sort of natural setting? Was it the isolation? Was it a little bit of everything? Before I lived in Southern California, uh, I grew up in Hawaii. And I loved the idea of a great big emptiness. And and my picture of the desert was just rolling dunes with absolutely no life. But then I moved to Southern California in um, 1999 and took my first just drive out. And I'm just on the freeway looking out. And it's like, well, there's there's plants, there's sagebrush, there's tumbleweeds. And, and it was even more intriguing. But something about the desert's isolation from, from civilization and... Uh, the kind of the mysteriousness that almost anything could happen out here because you're so far away from everything. The, I've been to Death Valley a couple of times, and um, I used to write little fiction stories about uh, Death Valley where there were aliens there that they were able to hide away. The desert seemed like an escape and just an emptiness away from people. In truth, when I did my hermitage out there, um, a few times I could hear some motorcycles way off in the distance. There are plenty of people who enjoy the desert along with me. But um, my image of the desert was like a, it was another planet where I could be totally alone. And I am a I'm an introvert. Uh, I'm not a shy introvert. I like meeting new people and everything. I greet at my church and I really enjoy that. But I do get exhausted by company. And mm-hmm. so if I if I can travel out to the desert, and I've got this little old Toyota that's uh, 20 years old, and uh, the AC doesn't work, so you just put the windows down <laughs> and and uh, put some uh, put some good music on. The, the further I went up into the desert, and this was the Mojave Desert Preserve, and they have what's permitted is called roadside camping. And there's some approved spots where they say, uh, yeah, you can camp here. So there was already a fire pit where somebody had been and the road kind of ended there. So my whole idea was just to be as far away from people as possible and see how that would recharge me. And And it did. And just the whole idea of going out there and investing the time, like I'm going out there to plan a novel. And I did. This is the novel that I'm querying now. Oh, good. And it's, a, it, uh, it's a space western. And it turns out a lot of the novel uh, kind of has sagebrush and sand dunes and everything. And uh, I named uh, one of the characters after one of the roads. And it turns out that this, this novel, Sidewinder, that I'm querying now has uh, a lot of elements from that sabbatical that I took. There's a, a town... In, out in the desert, close to 29 Palms, that's called Wonder Valley. There's a town in my novel called Wonder Valley. And there's a road called Amboy Road, and I named the road Amboy Road. And so I, I just picked up a lot of uh, influence just from that, from that sabbatical. I love that. Do you, do you think that was conscious or unconscious? It was like, it was like going on a treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah. I'm going out there, and, and I'm thinking like, well, I want my main character to have kind of a mysterious last name. I don't put a lot of stock in character names. You know, well, you know, the parents didn't name them something mysterious when they were born, but I wanted yeah. them to have like kind of a, a mysterious name. And uh, there's a road up on the um, Interstate 15 close to the Nevada border called Ivanpah. So not a conscious decision, but as if you're, uh, you're looking for treasure or something and something catches your eye and sparks and it's like, I think that's it. And mm-hmm. you reach over and you dust it off a little bit and that's something I like. That's a good name. So I, I got that. And then you know, Amboy Road, uh, Wonder Valley, like, you know, those are all not very well known, but there, there's a certain character to them. 
I've often felt as a writer that I'm some sort of collector. Like I go through life, oh, I can use that in a novel and I can use that in a novel and just picking and choosing these beautiful little gems that sort of catch our eye. So thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm, glad, yeah. that, I'm glad that you brought that up. I also love the idea of going into this big empty space. I also think of writers as, or maybe it's just me, as possibility addicts. I love, <laughs> I just, I get so thrilled by the, the possibility of being alone in a cabin by myself for like four days. What can I create? The possibility is intoxicating. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that as well. Yeah. The um, possibility addict that, that resonates. I, I remember, you know, even in, in high school and things being like that and hanging out with friends and we all kind of like to try to make up science fiction stories. That's just like the pulp science fiction we used to read. And okay, my friend lit up a cigarette and uh, the other friend who's kind of against smoking was like, well, what if, uh, what if cigarettes cried out when you <laughs> smoked them? And I said, well, you know, then people wouldn't want to smoke. And then another person's like, well, what if on another planet, what if in the rest of the galaxy, all cigarettes cried when you smoked them? And we nodded our heads. And then it wasn't me. I wish it was me. Somebody was like, Earth cigarettes would be so valuable. And we suddenly had an awesome science fiction story where aliens come to Earth to steal all the cigarettes. <laughs> and I, I don't know if we ever really wrote it, but you know, that's that possibility addict where we kind of brainstormed on an outrageous idea. And uh, brainstorming is almost more fun than the writing there. And it is. It was, just, it was that possibility that you're talking about. There is. And there's something really cool, too, about about having friends there, about having someone to collaborate with. Yeah. Jumpstart those ideas with. So it's almost the opposite of, you know, that was with a, a group of friends versus your sabbatical or your hermitage right. where you were kind of just right. purely isolated. Um, was there a difference there in the brainstorming? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because um, being around my friends, I, I'm, I'm a different person. Being around, and, and this was a very close group of friends that I grew up with, they will bring out parts of me that won't come out when I'm alone. Um, they give me a certain kind of courage mm. to maybe speak my mind more. And, and it's, you know, being alone, I might be able to, you know, if I'm journaling or writing or something, I might be able to reveal something to myself that's very personal. But with my friends and with these really close friends, the kind of friends that you might have in high school who are, uh, you know, I was a bit of an outcast and so were they. We were the mm -hmm. kind of the invisible crowd. Being around them, uh, gave me a certain intimacy that gave me a certain boldness to to brainstorm outrageous ideas, uh, something that I couldn't even do alone, which is interesting because I I like to be like, oh, I'm just a loner. I don't have any friends I don't <laughs> around on my black coat and uh, in the desert. But uh, I, I have to admit, though, that uh, being around certain people does allow me to to open up and shine in a way that I can't when I'm alone. And that's it's it's something hard for a loner to admit. Yep, yeah, I need to be around people sometimes, especially if I want to write well. Oh my gosh, it totally is. And there's there's such a romantic image of a writer as this, you know, this outcast living in like a lighthouse and smoking a pipe and banging <laughs> oh, yeah. in a typewriter just all alone. But I think there's a there's a pretty long history of, you know, collaboration and writing in in not just even in novels, but in 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 how television shows are written and movies and all oh, that sure. kind of stuff. I see that even at, at my work. Um, you know, I work at a church, and um, I'm a custodian, but I'm, I'm included in on some of the planning meetings and everything, and we were just talking about our Sunday service coming up. 
And um, I just mentioned, hey, what if we have so-and-so like, do something like this? And our weekend service pastor is like, oh, that's an awesome idea. And just, <laughs> I'm not afraid to mention these kind of things. And it's amazing like watching these little brainstorming sessions where they can get a little crazy and wild. And, and I work with a bunch of dreamers. Um, I'm, I'm more of a detail-oriented person, but it's, it's amazing to work with them and see them just come up with these ideas. And then again, it's bringing out the more extroverted dreamer in me where suddenly I'm having a little more confidence and sharing these ideas because that's how these people think mm-hmm. uh, kind of changes a little bit who I am. That's awesome. A, a lot yeah. of people don't have that. And so that's really, really awesome. So I want to ask you a little bit about what writing is doing for you and has done for you in your life. Um, you talk about going on the sabbatical to write. It's it's obviously a huge focus for you. Can you tell me about your relationship with writing? As a small child, I would make up worlds. Uh, I, I loved having friends over and everything. But if my friends were over, it's like, no, we can't play with my cars. Let's go play outside. My cars are my world. Mm-hmm. And um, that was where I would go and just create worlds, create my own little towns with their own names and... Um, even though I was five years old, I knew how to drive a car in this world, and it was perfectly legal. <laughs> and then uh, I realized at night, I'd go to bed at night, and I would lay in bed and start making up the stories without using the props, without using the toy cars or anything. And I realized I, that that was my first real story creation before I ever wrote anything. And then one time, uh, probably in about seventh grade, one night I just was telling myself a story, and it was an awesome story. It was about uh, me and my buddy getting in a spaceship and going and rescuing a passenger liner that had been kidnapped by bad guys. And so I wrote the story. And it turned out like, nine or 12 handwritten pages. And I was just so proud of it. And I <laughs> illustrated it. And then I did like a little audio book uh, version of it with sound effects and music. That's and, awesome. Uh, and, and I, really, hey, I really like to write. And, and then friends would come with me and be like, hey, I've I got a story idea. And sometimes I'd write it and work on it. And so writing kind of became where I could find my identity. Mm. And it was also a bit uh, – it was an escape. Uh, when I moved to Hawaii, um, there was a real culture change. I was eight years old. I was in the third grade. And that's a tough time for kids. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started up the, the third grade and the kids were already clicked up and I – didn't fit in very well and didn't really know how. I had I'd been the um, teacher's pet the year before in a different school, and now suddenly everything was different. And I kind of withdrew and learned how to just take care of myself and uh, entertain myself with my toy cars and spaceships and things. And then I saw Star Wars, and then it was like spaceships all the way. And mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't have uh, toy spaceships back then, so I used building blocks and my harmonica um, harmonica made a great spaceship and a hairbrush. And, and so I, that was my story creation before I was even writing. And then a friend came to me with an idea about a story that I turned into an, about an 80 page handwritten page story. And then I wrote a second draft of it. And I realized, you know, when I'm writing, I, I feel great. And it's, it's an escape from reality, which in some ways is a, a bit of an unhealthy thing because sometimes I would not face my problems or be in denial about things. And it's like, I'm just going to go right instead. And I think in some ways that was not entirely healthy because it was a, an escape from things I should have maybe been facing up to. I continued to write uh, stories through college. I, tur- I, I wrote really bad poetry. <laughs> um, just the dark, tormenting college oh, yeah. kind of poetry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> 
And after after college, I, I tried writing fiction. And again, I moved into a bachelor pad and I had a computer and I had the opportunity to write, but I just I didn't really focus too much on it. And then I met a really nice girl who wasn't impressed with my writing and really did not care for my poetry. So we got married. That's that, kind of uh, the opposite of what you would think, you know? Well, you know, that she really appreciates what's real rather mm -hmm. than the fake world. And so I really rely on her to kind of hold me accountable to not be a poser or anything. And so I, I wrote kind of off and on. And then it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I wrote a, a whole novel that um, it's still in its uh, kind of a, a rough second draft state right now about uh, pilots that fly spacecraft with their mind that uh, they're, they're hooked up to a, a machine that flies the spaceships and one of the spaceships gets lost and so the pilot it affects him psychologically that his spaceship is spinning out there in space somewhere and he's walking around on earth but he's always feeling lost and he's always feeling vertigo and things. So. so it was an interesting story idea. I'd like to develop that again. But I, I spent a year or so writing that first draft and then I heard of NaNoWriMo and uh, started like hammering out novels every November. And wow, I love to write. And <laughs> it, it, became my, it became my identity. It became my escape. It became my creative outlet. It's, you know, if people come up and, hey, what do you do? I might say, well, you know, I'm a dad and I'm a church custodian. I, I don't feel like saying, well, I'm a writer, because even if I, it's true, I am a writer, but I would seem like I'm trying to impress them too mm -hmm. much by saying I'm a writer. Oh, what have you published? Um, yeah. you know, working on that. It's, it is still, it's what I tell myself. And um, as much as I love my custodian job, and everybody at the church that I work at treats me with a lot of respect, and um, we're, I'm friends with everybody there. Sometimes in the, if I'm mopping a bathroom or scrubbing a toilet or something, I start to think, oh, you know, I'm just a custodian and I'm, I'm middle-aged and things happen in my life to kind of put me here. I used to teach school. I used to do all kinds of things and now look at me. But then I was like, but you know what? I've written novels mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't matter whether or not I've, you know, will ever publish them. I can wake up tomorrow morning and turn my computer on and be walking on Amboy Road in another planet or I'm I'm creator of worlds and I'm a writer and it's okay if I have to pay the bills by being a custodian. I'm a writer and I'm doing what I love. Yes, I identify with that so much. Yeah. It reminds yeah. me of uh, I can just hear the the love and passion for writing in your voice and and when you talk about going to your computer and and realizing that yeah I have novels here I have my work here I have created something. It reminds me of that line in Firefly, you know, and that has made us mighty. You know, we have done the oh, impossible. Yeah. Like, love Firefly. <laughs> oh, I do too. Well, and you said Space Western earlier, and I'm yeah. like, ooh, Firefly. I love Firefly. That's how I took my Space Western. I thought about Benedict Arnold, the traitor of the United States uh, Revolutionary War. And so my main character is like Benedict Arnold. He betrayed the, the alliance. He betrayed the good guys. And it didn't work out so well. And so he went on this. He's off on this planet where people can go to disappear. And, you know, I'm kind of borrowing that idea from Joss Whedon that, you know, history is full of interesting characters. That I don't need to make this story about spaceships and horses. It's about people. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. So when you're writing and you're, you're sitting down with this great passion to write, what is it that strikes you first when you're writing? Are you writing to create, you'd mentioned before writing to create a world. Is it the world that you're writing for? Is it the characters? Is it the story? What really drives you? What excites you when you write the most? It's the characters. I, I spend time before I write a story. I try to write up a little 
autobiography of the characters in their own voice. My name is so-and-so, and this is the kind of thing that I've gone through. Um, and I try to write up the life-shaping events that have happened to them. And then I put them into this situation and drive them through it where they are forced to make choices and hopefully by the end of the story that they've made the right choices. I try to make my stories emotionally satisfying. Somebody once asked me, what is your muse? And I don't know if I gave the right answer, but this, what I told them was this. I used to work at a fast food restaurant over the summer. I had this girl come and she was about my age and I was, I was 19 or 20. And she was dressed for work. She was wearing a nice white button-down blouse. And she looked miserable. She looked uh-huh. like somebody had been yelling at her. And she, or she looked like her dog had just died. And uh, it was busy. I, but I wanted to, like, hey, life might get better. Right? You, here, here's a free soda. Or, I, yeah. I felt terrible for her. And, you know, she spent 30 seconds of my life. But I've not forgotten her. And sometimes when I'm writing, I think about her or I think about anybody who's just miserable and I want to write a story to tell them that there's hope that people can be good that you can be good that people can take you down but we can still pull through it that there's going to be hope at the end maybe not what we had ever planned for but that as we live our lives and we keep overcoming things everything is making us stronger and What's tough for an introvert, antisocial person like I pretend to be <laughs> is that if we reach out, if we rely on other people, not everybody's going to be there for us, but there will always, always be somebody, and usually somebody who's been through the same thing that you have, they're going to be there for you. That's one of the reasons why we have pain and suffering. Um, not that it's ever part of God's plan for that, but if we have pain and suffering, that, that can always be used to help other people. Oh my gosh, so much. Yes, I'm just, I was nodding along with everything you just said there. I'm such a believer in the the healing that can come with reading someone's writing. And, and even if you don't have a community like that, like growing up, I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a community to go to when the world was cruel to me. But I always, I always had books. Yeah. I always had books. And those books, that's what gave me hope. That's what, you know, that's what kept me going was yeah. I knew that I could turn to books and I could see friends and have a positive message and see that, yeah, things are going to be okay. So the fact that you're consciously thinking about that when you're writing is absolutely a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah. You talk about writing things that are emotionally satisfying. You, you talk a lot about um, finding healing in stories. Is, is, is this something that you find in writing as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I spent last November actually processing a lot of uh, pain that I still deal with. What happened is um, in uh, December of 2002, I lost my daughter to cancer. And um, she was just shy of her seventh birthday. So uh, oh she, was diag- she was diagnosed when she was three and a half. And um, throughout her illness, I had incredible strength. I had purpose. Um, I'd be at the hospital helping, taking care of her. And uh, and she was loud and boisterous and everybody loved her and everything. And when I lost her, I had spent three and a half years praying for her to be healed. And I didn't, uh, losing her, having her taken home to heaven, however you'd like to think, mm-hmm. that's not what bothered me. You know, okay, she's, she's out of pain. She's, she's with the Lord. That's good. What disturbed me the most, I think, was was something the matter with me for, for praying for three and a half years and, and not having my prayer answered the way I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And 
I spent the next several years just in a in a spiraling depression. You know that it was my fault. Uh, I lost two jobs after uh, after losing her. So the writing began to help me sort through things. So like that first story, the first novel that I wrote was about somebody who was terribly lost mm. and just without without any kind of direction, and finally had to accept the help from somebody else to be able to to press on. Then in my my space western, there's a another character who's a young man who's a swindler, and he swindles a church at the beginning of the story, um, actually before the actual story starts, and they they swindle the church through a traveling medicine show, mm. which uh, you might see in the old western tropes where uh, the the healers come in and pretend to heal people. So this this young man is a is a plant. He's come in pretending to be lame, and uh, they pretend to heal him, and the offering comes pouring in, and then the mm. swindlers take the money and leave this young man behind. When I wrote it, I, thought, oh, I had a lot of fun with it. But then I looked at it, and I was like, my goodness, I remember these, um, I remember traveling medicine shows coming to my church and laying hands on people and healing them and uh, still losing my daughter. And, and I, the writing was beginning to process through this that, Maybe these people were real faith healers who had real faith in God, or maybe these people were just after offering money. Mm-hmm. So I began to process through that. But then by the end of the story, uh, this this young man is forgiven for what he does, and people sacrifice a lot to save him. And another character of the story, the, the third character, sacrifices uh, her sobriety. She used to be a very violent person and then gave up violence and then has to become violent to save him. And it was all about what we have to sacrifice to help others. And it helped me process through that also that we have to sometimes give up what we hold the dearest to be able to help anybody else. So so the writing has helped me process through that. The last uh, NaNoWriMo I did was kind of a stream of consciousness, first-person narrative, which I've never really cared for, uh, first-person narratives. <laughs> but it's my character living through this in a kind of a metaphorical sense. And... It was like journaling for 30 days, like journaling 2,000 words a day for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And, and you might know the healing power of journaling that um, suddenly just doing this journaling for 30 days, I stumbled on things that I had not realized. You know, I, I, I lost my daughter 13 years ago, but things I had not realized for that whole time. And I realized, well, I'll go back a little bit. Before I was married to this wonderful girl who, who did not like my poetry, um, <laughs> she, she was in a car accident. And I, I came upon the accident like we were following each other on the highway. And I came around the corner and there was her car pinned up against a guardrail and um, another big car that had slammed into her. And she was, she was conscious. She was okay. She was talking and, and crying in, in her little car. I followed them to the hospital, followed the ambulance to the hospital. And then um, in the emergency room, the doctor came out and said, there may be bone fragments in her blood. And if they go to her brain, we're going to lose her. And I went outside the ER and my friend gave me a cigarette. I hadn't smoked for several months. And, and I saw that cool, dark poet that I'd always wanted to be. And... This is, oh, look, this is David who um, always wanted to be like the ultimately cool, dark poet. And now he's lost his love. He swore he'd never love again. And now he's lost her. And look how cool he is. And so that's who I could have been if I'd lost her. But then on the other hand, I saw us settling down 
in the emergency room, I told the emergency room staff she was my fiance, which <laughs> hadn't wasn't true yet, but it got me in. So, but then I, I saw it's like hey, I'm getting married, we're settling down. We're getting, you know, she she's gonna want children. She loves children. So, so I saw myself on the other hand not being that dark poet, but being domesticated with a minivan, and that's the path that I chose. So I lived my life uh, with her, with children, and living well. But then, when I lost my daughter. I tried to become that cool, dark character. I started trying to play into this brooding, angry person. But it turned out this brooding, angry person was not the least bit cool. He was really difficult to get along with. Uh, didn't trust anyone and lost two jobs because of that. That I, I was trying to become something that I wasn't. I was trying to be completely insincere about who I was and completely dishonoring her. Mm -hmm. She had been such a loving person. It took this friend of mine who had lost his brother to sit me down and say, you, you're really not helping things and you're really not honoring her by doing that. And you're really not honoring the rest of your family. I mean, I have five living children now and um, he, he like named each one of them to me to remind me, look, this is who you still have. This is who you're supposed to be living for now, not her. That kind of woke me up, and it still took it took me joining a twelve step group called Celebrate Recovery to be able to really start processing my feelings and going back and and getting healing, because uh, it forced me to uh, to go to weekly meetings and put my trust in other people and mm. share with them how I was feeling, and not with immediate results, but having to be patient and slowly see some healing. So that's that's one of the things that helped, and then of course then writing writing stories, playing out scenarios that I wished would happen. So in, in this NaNoWriMo, I have become this cool person uh, that I thought I would be. And he's driving around in this awesome car, but he's miserable. And I didn't even, I didn't make that conscious decision that when I was writing this novel, this guy's driving around, but he's miserable, even though he can get whatever he wants and he's got a cool car. He's just miserable because he can't connect with anybody. And he ends up just in this valley of sorrow until he finally has to leave the Valley of Sorrow and, and trust God again at the end of the story. Uh, it's not something I'll probably ever publish, but it was, uh, it was a real month of healing. Nothing I'd ever written had healed me or let me look into myself as much as this, uh, this stream of consciousness, first-person narrative, playing out uh, scenarios that I had dreamed of happening and then seeing the results. Like, mm -hmm. well, if, I really had, if this really had happened, this is what I would have turned into. So who I am now is, is a much better person for, for the choices I made and for the, the people who've helped me. What a powerful story. And I just want to, I want to thank you just right now for, for sharing that. I'm just really overwhelmed right now by the story you. that you just told. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. It's hard to like move on from, from such a powerful story. So my gosh, are you okay with maybe like one or two more questions? I'm, I'm okay. This is my day off. Oh and gosh, good. So yeah. I don't know if I've ever talked with somebody before who's so incredibly self-aware and and willing to share some humbling moments with the you know with the general public. So, what a, what well, a gift thank you, that Sarah. is. You know, um, I've been listening to your podcast for quite a while, and I feel that you've kind of helped set the tone for that. Um, you're very real in a lot of your podcasts. Also, I feel comfortable sharing with you just um, after listening to you each week on your Right Now podcast. So, thank you. Well, thank you. Gosh, I kind of want to ask, you're querying your novel right now. 
Yes. And this is one that you wrote for NaNoWriMo, you said, two years ago? Or is this a little bit older than uh, that as well? 2000, yeah, two, two years ago, 2013. Two years ago. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what gave – we talked a little bit earlier about finding courage in community with others and, and collaboration with others. What gave you the courage to begin querying this novel? Huh. I had set a goal at the beginning of the year. I was doing um, uh, one word, and one word is where uh, I have a single word to concentrate on for the whole year. So my, my one word for last year – was achieve. And I, I started out in January, I think I had about a third draft about of Sidewinder. Publishing is, is something that's beyond my control, but I want to have something in a, in a publishable state and I want to try to query. And so I spent 2015, a lot of it, just rewriting, uh, doing more drafts, getting up in the morning and writing for an hour when I could, continuing to write more drafts. I sent it out to some friends who were beta readers for me, and I got feedback, and then taking, um, taking November off to do NaNoWriMo. And then in, in December, I was just about done. And then um, I listened to a really good podcast by a podcaster named K.M. Wyland, and it's called uh, Helping Writers Become Authors talked about chapter breaks and I realized that a lot of my chapters end with kind of closure and that I need to have the end of my chapters not necessarily a cliffhanger but definitely not as much closure because it keeps people reading so I thought I was ready to query and then I realized no I need to go back so I'm still actually doing that but I have sent out some queries because usually a query letter only asks for the first uh, at the very most the first three chapters so I, uh, I had grabbed a copy of Writer's Digest and found some agents. And then I also, uh, a tip that I've learned, I went to a bookstore and found some similar books. And uh, especially first-time authors or, or new authors, we look in the acknowledgments and they will acknowledge their agent. Uh, so I just opened up my notebook and wrote down the names of agents walking through the, the bookstore and uh, came home with a list of agents, looked them up on Twitter, looked up their uh, their websites and found you know, what they were accepting. And, and so I sent out uh, several queries that way also. I have about five queries out now. I got one back almost right away and said, uh, no, thank you. And I can tell you, like, I suddenly really felt like an author. I got a rejection. <laughs> Everybody's got rejections. My favorite authors have all got rejections. I, I don't think you're really an author until you've got a rejection. Um, <laughs> it, it really just validated what I'd been doing. And, it, and my, my goal for the year was not to publish, it was to achieve. And uh, before the end of the year, I queried and I got a rejection. And, <laughs> and it felt wonderful. You are wonderful. I love that that rejection letter meant a good thing for you. I love that. I love that attitude. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for your insight, for your self-awareness, um, for your story of healing, for your willingness to be a gift and a blessing to others, for your imagination, for your drive, just for everything that you've talked about today. It has been truly meaningful. Well, thank you. Sarah, thank you for your podcast. I listen to a lot of writing podcasts, and some of them are very technical, which I appreciate, but your, your podcast speaks to the soul more than anything else. You're, you're not telling us how to write, but you're telling us like why to write. The, the confidence and the inspiration that your, your podcast gives, that gave me the confidence to inquire to you about doing this. So, so thank you for, for the inspiration and for just shining this light that you do. Thank you so much, David. All right. We'll I'll talk to you again bye -bye. soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>